Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, generally recorded at the PW offices, but we're spread out now around New York. I think one of us is in L.A. Uh, anyway, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am coming to you tonight live from West Hollywood, California. And I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. All right, this week on More to Come, San Diego Comic-Con International 2018. The biggest pop culture show in North America. Uh, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, but we're also going to look at um, uh, Koyama Press and Annie Koyama. Uh, we're going to take a look at Ted Adams at IDW and Bongo Comics. We'll tell you what it's all about when we get there. So, San Diego. Well, I think <laughs> You're in California, know, so I'm going to let you start. I, I, well, I think really Kate said it all when she said that she's so exhausted from it. And she never even left her house. But, you know, Kate is a hero every year because Calvin and I hit the floor and we record podcasts and we throw them up in the Dropbox and Kate does a daily podcast. And uh, and she's exhausted, too. But, uh, and troubleshooting. She puts yes, them up and, and she has to fix them, too. <laughs> right, right, because we are mobile. But, um, well, you know, every year uh, we get older and, the you know, it kicks my ass more and more. Uh, but I will say this was a pretty... Uh, smooth Comic Con, based on what I heard, I didn't hear too many um, disasters. Although there was, there was, you know, there was there was a lot that was physically different about this con. And Calvin, you know, you yeah. had to write the story all by yourself. I was uh, pooped out on you, which <laughs> you know has never happened before. I've been carrying Calvin for over a decade. And, Absolutely, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I liked um, it like that. <laughs> I know, I know, but I, I'm I'm proud of you, Calvin. You did a very good story all on by yourself, so. Well, thank you. As, but, I, as I said before, it was sort of like getting the keys to the family car. You know what right. could possibly go wrong. Right. But but yeah. But that there were some physical differences. You know, particularly Harbor Drive, obviously. And we talked about this before. But seeing, yeah. it, seeing that that big thoroughfare empty, it was a good idea. Long overdue for safety uh, issues as well. Yeah, you know, I don't think that actually affected the show very much. To be honest, oh, no. you know. No, I don't. Think I so. mean, I don't feel like. You know, well, I mean, they did have these checkpoints at either end of the con where you couldn't pass without your badge. There was definitely a lot more checkpoints. And, you know, every time I went in, I would see somebody standing there, uh, you know, sadly without their badge. But, you know, only a, a person or two. It wasn't really a bottleneck anytime I went in. But, you know, I'm going to plug my other podcast because I do two podcasts at San Diego. I do our, this podcast and then I do my special kind of specialty podcast, uh, Three Women in a Hotel Room. Yes. And with with Bridget and Debbie O'Hee, you can find us on SoundCloud. But um, and you know, it, I think it was uh, Bridget who observed that there was a lot less cosplay in front of the convention center with the new thing because you know, I think other people were mentioning the lack of cosplay as well to me. So I think Heidi has a theory. What is it, Heidi? Well, I think that people used to come without badges in their cosplay, and they would parade around in front of the convention center. And I mm -hmm. think now that that's only for people with badges, you didn't see that anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. But I, 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 but for someone actually who had a badge, 
I didn't feel it was a big problem. I actually liked that Harbor Drive was clear. I mean, you could just walk in there and cross the street. I mean, the buses, the shuttle buses still stop there. But otherwise, I mean, you know, it, it, sometimes crossing those streets, I mean, it was sort of like, you know, that, that commercial where there are all these cars lined up revving their engines and you're, like, trying to get across. Right. Um, so I, I thought that was good. And also just having the service, the service road directly in front of the convention Basically, you could walk freely down there without the uh, the uh, security yelling at you every time you stepped off the curb. That yes. was an improvement. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, no, I mean, I think that was overall, uh, it definitely improved some of the traffic flow. But, you know, I said right along that the other thing that you mentioned in your report would be the game changer, and um, which was how, you know, the exclusives and were now a lottery. So you didn't have people, you know, oh, in the yes. past, there would be people lined up in front of the convention center. You didn't see that anymore. And, uh, you know, my writer, Nick Eske, went to the talk back on Sunday. And, um, you know, there's some kind of diehard cranks who, like I said, they believe in a deterministic universe. And they were like, we want it back. You know, they want to be like the true fan. And I'll sleep yeah. out overnight. But most people were like, you know, I got something for the first time ever. And I, yeah. know, I got this like exclusive. Yeah, because yeah, it but was now, a lottery. Now the big question is: Do you think this led to more crowding on the floor or not? I mean, my feeling. I would think I, it would I, lead to less. Well, uh, well, no, one, okay, one question: when People stand in line. You see, when when uh, they they get in line and they stay in line all day to get these things. So ah. yeah, with the, with the lottery, they were free to roam. Anyway, well, well, this is. I will say this. One publisher I talked to said that even though there was a lottery, people were still lining up. Either they didn't know about it or they didn't care, and they still were showing up and jamming the floor. So um, uh, it, it's hard to say. I actually thought the floor traffic moved really well for the most part. Yeah, I'm not sure where you were because... I had a schedule that made me, you know, like, I tried to keep my schedule light, but I really, I, I pushed it too far, like I did last year. But this time I didn't get food poisoning in the press room, so that was good. <laughs> good. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't have, yeah, anyway. But um, but I would find myself in a panel in room five, and then I would have to go to a meeting at, over or the other side. So I had to cut across quite a few times, and it got pretty pretty freaking crowded in the middle of the floor. You know, there were yeah. times I was just a log jam, as it always does. You know what, I'll tell you, I kind of noticed it, but this might also have been just, you know, observer's paradox, is that I was staying at the Marriott, and, mm. and I've stayed there before, but I'll tell you, the lobby was mayhem. You know, every time I went to the yeah. lobby, it was just crazy. And, uh, you know, I, I do think that the people not lining up uh, led to more of them milling around. More, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, one I'm... other thing I I'd like to point out. Um, I found uh, that the the floor seemed to me to be quieter. Um, and uh, I was told by a couple of people I talked to that this year the organizers actually cracked down on exhibitors using ear splitting music. Yay! Wow, now that's a scoop. Down. Um, because I just kept noticing, it just seemed a little bit quieter to me than, than usual. And then I, a couple of people confirmed to me that the organizers, they just, they cracked down on people blaring music. Um, somebody pointed to Star Wars as like a, uh, a violator of the past. 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they did. They, they always loud had like very morning. loud music yeah. there. When you'd walk by, and it would yeah. be yeah, very loud. So. So it was weirdly zen-like, even though there were thousands of crazy fans well, around. I mean, all quite times. frankly, <laughs> I, I want to write a letter to New York Comic Con right now. Dear New York Comic Con, do you see what San Diego did? Please do that. Love me. <laughs> Lower the decibel. Well, I, you know, there's such a different culture between both of those shows. Yeah, but even so, city. like both of them have the culture of using loud music or sound. <laughs> like that's that's a constant. Yeah. Um, so what was the highlight? So now that we've talked about the floor, uh, what were some of the highlights of the show? Well, I mean, certainly for me, I mean, what happened in the uh, the Eisner uh, Awards, um, uh, the real, uh, the way that women and the LGBTQ community and people of color, you know, won awards. Uh, obviously, uh, Emil first and my favorite thing is Monsters. I thought that that, I mean, to me, and if you read my piece, to me, this was a sort of of a piece with what I'm seeing at Comic-Con for the kinds of things that, you know, the book publishing part of Comic-Con, which is not to say that obviously superheroes and the movies and TVs aren't still dominating. But I, I think that graphic novels and the growth of graphic novels and the impact of the book trade, I think it has restored comics publishing to some extent. As the heart of the com- of the of the San Diego, Comic-Con. you know, I I forgot this until this just moment. I'm so glad it jogged my memory because I wanted to get this out there before um, before I forget. So so it'll be a little rambling story, but bear with me. There is a point to it. So um, I agree with you, Calvin. That graphic novels are huge, and you know, the Eisner's really were a triumph. I said from monsters to monstrous. Yes, absolutely. Um, But, you know, one of the other things that was a big splash of the show was DC Universe, which is this new streaming service that DC is launching. So so I went to the press preview of that on uh, Wednesday. Jesus, a week ago. Seems like seven years ago. But, um, and they talked about, you know, it's kind of a little bit of an answer to Marvel's Marvel Unlimited digital service. It's $7.99 a month. And you get a curated list of comics, but you also get these streaming shows that, you know, got a very mixed reaction. They dropped a trailer for Titans, and the ti- the trailer was universally loathed. Uh, you know, they just <laughs> thought it was violent and, you know, kind of this grim, dark stuff. Did you watch it, Kate? Have you seen it? I have not. Uh, I did not realize it was grim, dark. I was like, yeah, I guess I should, like, dig up some trailers and watch them and stuff. But, I mean, Titans, Grimdark? That just seems wrong. Oh, you didn't hear about how Robin says, fuck Batman? Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Well, oh it depends God. on which yeah. Robin is. it is. If it's Dick, then that's very out of character. Yeah, well, yeah, then Dick is stomping on people's heads. Oh, and... for Pete's sakes. Yeah, you're going to... I, I, I in fact. In fact, you know, Kate, you you know how you boycott things? I think maybe you should boycott this Titans trailer, okay? Well, I think I should watch the trailer, but I should boycott the show if I hate the there trailer. There you go. Well, I, I look forward to your to your feelings on it. So anyway. Well, I heard, can I just I yes, heard please do. The, um, I heard from, I didn't see it myself, that the DC Universe, active, that there was an activation oh, around yes. it that some people yes. were saying were, was interesting. Is this what you're talking about? Yes, that was the the, the preview mm-hmm. one. Yes, the activation preview. Yes, <laughs> but um, uh, you know, like they had in there, I, Kate. This would be your worst nightmare, honestly. Like they also had this thing called Harley Quinn's Mayhem Room, 
where they put you in a hazmat suit and gave you a bat, and then you go into the room for about 30 seconds and whack things with a bat, and they have, like, red paint. Like, they have a bed, and you hit it, and red paint comes out, and you hit bottles in red paint. It was kind of disturbing, I have to be honest, you know? Yeah. Family plan. By the the end of the preview night, all of the bats were broken. And so, um, very interesting. But anyway, the reason, so this was, you know, I'd say, again, Titans got definitely a very mixed reaction. So as I was coming to where I'm staying now in Los Angeles, I had to take a lift. And, uh, you know, had about a 20-minute ride. So, you know, Lyft drivers love to talk. I was a young woman, a young woman of probably, I would guess she was in her 20s, under 30. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that I'd been to Comic-Con, and she said, oh, I've always wanted to go to Comic-Con. So I asked her what she liked, and she said she likes Star Wars, and she does love DC. But then she said, and I'm going to paraphrase her, she said, you know, I've tried to get into the comics, but they're just not long enough. They don't have, you know, I read them too fast. You know, maybe mm-hmm. if they put them more together, like an anthology, I'd like reading them. And I said, well, you know, they have those. They're called graphic novels. You can go to the bookstore. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. yeah, well, they should have more of those. They should have more of those. And then I said, what about DC Universe? And she said, oh, that's a big mistake. I'm uh-huh. not going to pay $9 a month to watch three TV shows. What a bad idea. So mm. anyway, not that one Lyft driver is a focus yeah. group, but I thought it was very interesting that well, those were her off the top of their head. The texts that I got from friends of mine who were following San Diego along at home, um, one, there was a giant implosion of joy uh, when at the Voltron thing when, spoiler alert, they let everyone know that uh, Shiro uh, was gay. What? And well, uh, yes, Shiro is gay <laughs> and uh, has angst. Well, he always has okay. angst. He's Shiro's better. born with angst. Yeah. He's always had angst. Right. But now we know he has gay angst, too, because, <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> because his boyfriend dumped him before he left for space. Oh, man. Yes, it's very sad. Yeah. So, um, and so that, that got a big excla- exclamation mark. And then... There was the whole, like, oh, yeah, and the um, Young Justice new season and everything will only be available on uh, DC Universe and may not even come to DVD. And people were like, what? No, I'm not paying $9. No, not a month. That's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, and these are people who were, like, really waiting for Young Justice to come out and were like, yeah, I like it. It'll be good. I think they kind of thought that it would, like, premiere on television or online somewhere and then, or would be buyable, and then you could get it through DC Universe, but no, right. that's that's not what's happening. I mean, I, But you can, I mean, you can, you can just, you can, you can do go month to month on this thing. I mean, you don't have to buy a year That's true, but that means you that you have to, basically, if you want to get your money's worth, you have to wait till the entire season comes out and then pay your $9. Or alternately, you're going to end up paying is like. It, is it nine ninety nine or seven ninety nine? It's seven ninety nine. Oh, okay. Yeah. But anyway, seven ninety. Now, I personally, I might actually pay that for like a couple months if I thought I had some time on my hands. Yeah. Like right. if I were going on vacation, maybe I'd pay, for, and I had distant internet connection, I might pay for it so I could like read a bunch of comics on it or like watch some TV. But I wouldn't subscribe for like more than a month at a time because. I wouldn't be sure I'd use it that much, and I wouldn't 
be able to justify to myself paying that every month. Right. But, yeah, and I think well, you get a little discount if you buy it all in advance, but, you know. Well, I heard uh, that uh, some of the other metrics of DC Universe um, that were down, you know, like like there, there wasn't as much interest in it as maybe you might have thought, and you know, I didn't really hear much buzz about the activation at all. I didn't hear about people going and standing in line for it at all. So I don't, I don't know what the deal was with that. Um, and uh, you know, it's funnily, you know, DC definitely had a great weekend. Uh, you know, they made some really strong announcements, like Grant Morrison is going to do Green Lantern, and uh, mm-hmm. Kelly Sue is doing a new Aquaman, probably some other ones. But there was also kind of like some. Like, every time they were doing some kind of press event, they were also kind of like, you know, this wasn't my idea, you know? Like, Jim <laughs> Lee gave a little talk at the DC Universe launch, and he was like, you know, this wasn't my idea. Uh, Captain Sujahara came to me and said, we've got to do this, so here it is. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> That's then, never promising. And then, you know, I, I quoted this on all of my podcasts, but I'll quote it on this one. As well, and then uh, well, Calvin, you were there for the breakfast. You were there for the yeah. Thursday mm-hmm. morning press breakfast, and I thought it was really notable. Again, it was Dan DeDio and Jim Lee. I thought it was really notable that when they got to the Walmart part, Jim Lee was like, "You know, they really didn't want to do this. Yeah, well, <laughs> we really I, had to talk them into doing it." And okay, sorry, hold on. Yes, all right, little doggies. Yeah, I will admit. That, uh, I'm, still, I'm still doing it, yeah. Sorry, I'm in a place that's full of dogs. So, oh, look at those okay. cute like shorts! Dogs. Wow, those are like adorable, dogs. Sharon. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought the breakfast was—I thought the, the breakfast press conference was fairly um, successful. I mean, and and and, and that to me, Mr. Book Trade guy, I, I thought that they both, to me, spoke convincingly and passionately about—and this is what my story is about—about yeah, mm. uh, the need to pay attention. To uh, to new readers, to yes, uh, to learn important. from the book trade, to uh, and and in fact to to go back to what your your Lyft driver was saying, uh, uh, <laughs> particularly for, as, as far as black label is concerned, um, and as far as the, the, the new books that are coming through, because they they announced a new round of of books and titles and artists for uh, for DC Zoom and DC Inc. to 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 sign authors from outside of the comics industry. To bring their audiences into the comics world, uh, and to bring their skills and their focus on on um, audiences that have been made perhaps neglected in the past. So, uh, that, to me, I found them convincing. Well, you know, obviously the proof is in the pudding. We'll see what happens when these books start coming out next year. But um, I found it convincing, and I also uh, found it a reality check for where the market is going. Oh, how so? Uh, because I think that they need to be paying attention to where the readers are, and the readers are in the book. If you're looking for growth, if you're looking for new readers, you need to be doing stuff that uh, appeals to the markets that maybe you haven't in the past. And they said this over and over again. You know, maybe everybody can't connect to our core superhero audience, which isn't to say we can't do superhero stories in a different kind of way, but we need to be paying attention to other writers who want to write in our playground and will bring their audiences to them. I think this is good. I think this is smart. We'll find out. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, for all that I like, the super long, epic, like, it takes three years to complete the storyline, storylines, there's definitely something to be said for a storyline you can pick up in one slim graphic novel that makes sense and you 
it explains everything you need to know within it. Like, it may mention things from continuity or whatever, but whatever you need to understand is explained in context. Right. Well, I, I agree. And I don't even think they need to be that slim. I think they just need to be self-contained. Yeah, self-contained. But I meant, like, not, like, ten volumes. Like a no, they don't need to be ten a volumes. A volume. I, one but volume. I, but I don't think it needs to be a 150-page graphic novel evil. I, I think a 200, 250-page... Yeah, I think people the, want immersive reading yes. experiences. Agreed. Well, they want, they want what the lift driver wanted. You know? Yes, And exactly. I mean, hearing... Hearing her say, oh, I tried to get into the comics, but they're just too short, you yeah. know? I mean, was a real reality. That was a reality check. And, you know, uh, uh, that said, and Calvin, this is something we really need to investigate, okay? I ran into a couple of very highly placed sources in the bookstore world. And they talked about how bookstore sales are down on graphic novels, you know? Yes, they're down they in they comic shops. And they're down in, in bookstores as well. And, you yeah. know, from 2017. And I don't think we've really investigated why that is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I, you know, we sort of talk informally about it. I don't think anybody knows why. Um, uh, and my feeling, and it's a, it's a completely guess, is that there's a lot of product that's been aimed at this market. And people are still trying to figure out how to get it in front of readers. Yeah, and not only that, is if you have more variety of product there is going to be some dispersal of audience where you know it's a long tail situation so so wait so you guys are both saying that the more product there is the lower sales there are no no i'm not i think that product can overwhelm demand um even when the demand is high okay uh i mean this is a guess i have no idea this is just my guess well, I mean, I um, guess because, the question is, are this, are we talking sales across the board, or are we talking sales at any one publisher? Because I no, was thinking sales at any one publisher, to which my answer would be, okay, how many publishers are now sticking their feet in the pool? But if it's sales across the board, then that's not relevant. Well, it's, it's sales across the board. I, I forget exactly um, the numbers uh, that BookScan has. Uh, I, think, I think it might be, you know, I, I, it, it was about 6%, I think, down. Um, Jim had some book scan numbers up um, about two weeks ago. Jim Milley, oh. uh, the editorial director at, at, at Publishers Weekly. Um, now, of course, uh, the, the Comicron and ICBG2 report had the book trade only down 1%, so essentially flat, um, uh, where the, the, the direct market was down about 10%. But that was the numbers for 2017, though. Those weren't the numbers for 2018. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just talking about for the year. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, well, you know what? Let's return to this. And I mean, we have more news to come, more more to come yeah, yeah. in the news department on this uh, this very episode. So, but uh, you know, I just wanted to throw that out there because I think you know there was a lot of there was a lot of um, you know focusing on the periodical as we do as well. You know, I mean, I went to the whole Diamond Lunch, which is two and a half hours, and uh, you know, focused on comics retailers and so much talk about the periodical. Yeah. And you know, new titles and all that sort of stuff. But uh, and you know, we know that's down. That's or it's flat. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's definitely been a little downturn. Uh, it's little. It's not disastrous, but it's down. Yeah. And you know, but graphic novels are also down. And, and like you say, you're just you know, Calvin, you're the smartest person about this market that I know. And you're just guessing. You have no idea. No, yeah. No well, I think one reason. Else. I think one reason why we're guessing is it because it's very new. That's why I'm saying that uh, I think that the product may be overwhelming the the marketing, the promotion, 
how you place it. I mean, we, I mean, most bookstores are really just learning about how to merchandise this stuff. Um, you know, you know. I mean, let's face it. Everything sells better with face-out display. Uh, comics, I think, you know, really need face-out display. But you know, you can only get so much of that. Um, uh, you know, independent bookstores I've been hearing are much better now, but they're still they still have a long way to go. Most independent bookstores have mm-hmm. tiny graphic novels sections if they have them at all. All right. so, you know what? Let's let you know, yeah. Right. So we need to yeah. But this yeah, is let's a topic circle back to this because we are talking about San Diego. But I definitely something. You know, yeah. I did have this conversation and more than once, and um, you know, definitely was something that came up. So, so more than anything else. That. Yeah. Well, we should also mention to everyone that uh, we've got interviews, you know, across the board with all kinds of creators, editors, publishers. Uh, if you go to publishersweekly.com/slash/comics. Um, and, you know, to, to check that out. Um, yes, you want to talk about some of your interviews, Heidi? Well, I only did a few. I, I started out with uh, Bill Morrison. Oh, sorry. I started out with Bill Morrison. I was Yellow Submarine. And then, uh, let's see, who else did I talk to? It's uh, a really good question. Who else did I talk to? I don't even remember. <laughs> I mean, the gentleman from Skybound? I did. I talked to Sean Makowitz, the editor-in-chief of Skybound. We had a nice little chat. And then I talked to two... Gentlemen, uh, whose names I can't Matt Hallett and Dave ha- ha- Hackett, I think. They're very similar <laughs> names, and they were artists on, uh, um, uh, yeah, Hatton. That was Matt Hatton and Haley. It was uh, somebody Haley. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember. They're two charming Australian gentlemen who worked on many movies that you love, and it's fun yeah. to hear them talk about Comic Con. And then finally, I talked to Clint McElroy and Carrie Peach. Well, McElroy tell me about the Adventure Zone. Wow. Yes, I haven't had a chance to listen to your interview, but this is a this book is a phenomenon. It is, and you know, Clint is the dad, and there's him and three sons, and he's hilarious. You know, I mean, he's just I I have not listened to the podcast, so but he definitely has this genial, well met, you know, yeah. uh, banter banter going on, and I I know the other McElroys do as well, and you know, the, it's really. Kind of like when you play D and D with your friends, you just start laughing so hard you're gonna pee your pants, you know. <laughs> Unlike they do it, and except they're really, really, really high level, and it's very imaginative stuff, and um, you know, it is an absolute phenomenon. Yeah. Well, let's see. I did a bunch of I did a bunch of interviews. Uh, of, of interviews. Um, I talked with the uh, you know with the venerable Max Allen Collins about. You know he, you know his Max Max Hammer. Let me explain Max Hammer graphic novel. Uh, and Hammer. I was, yeah, my uh, my camera. Excuse me. Um, and and I had a really great conversation with Dirk Wood, who's uh, overseeing the um, the idea of is what that PDX and the, the full bleed hardcover quarterly, which I think mm-hmm. is just a fabulous publication, really full of interviews, comics, um, uh, prose pieces. Uh, it really is almost like these, um, go, you know, retro pieces from the golden age of magazine uh, article writing, but now in this hardcover, beautifully produced book with great comics. So uh, go and check that out. Uh, I also got to talk to the fabulous Nalo Hawkinson, the science fiction writer, who's um, writing House of Whispers and doing one of the, she's one of the four artists that is, is helping to relaunch Neil Gaiman's Sandman universe. She's mm. fascinating. Um, uh, there's a bunch of people more. I, oh, I got a chance to talk to Gail Simone, who, you know, about her new gig. 
you know, overseeing the Catalyst Prime uh, superhero universe at Lion Forge. So uh, there's lots of yeah, Calvin, You were busy. Calvin was just like knocking him down, man. He was just chatting up a storm. Well, Calvin was it, a real MVP for this. Well, yes, I, you know what? I really. Uh, oh, you know, I should also mention that when I talked with Anello Hopkinson, I also talked with the artist on House of Whispers, uh, Dominique Stanton. This young kid, I think he's going to really, um, I think you're really going to see some great stuff out of him. I, I shouldn't call him a kid. He's actually worked for Marvel. Uh, he came into DC through that, um, through that, I'm calling it an apprentice program because I can't remember the name of it, where they brought artists in. The master uh, class. Yeah, yeah. He, he went through that and um, it, it looked like he did pretty well. He's working on a Neil Gaiman, uh, in the Neil Gaiman universe with Nalo Hopkinson, a, a fabulous writer. So, um, oh, and you know who I, I met on the floor and I talked to? Um, he wasn't really exhibiting, but Gary Thompson of Dead Reckoning, the Naval Institute Press um, uh, graphic novel intro. And I'm tell, I'm gonna I'm gonna hype one of their books, Machete Squad. I really think that this is going to be a sleeper hit. Uh, it's a really powerful book about an uh, an F, uh, a U.S. medic unit in Afghanistan. Um, he's got some interesting books, so he he's he really on there does. and he's very articulate about his books. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I had a chance to do was uh, the second annual Prism Awards were oh, held. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it was really nice. And I was one of the judges, and we had a really nice little ceremony on Saturday night. Gary uh, met Maya Kobeba, a real shout out, and Nina Kester and Ted Abenheim, Nina Kester of the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco, Ted Abenheim of Prison Comics, and Maya. It's just really a dynamo. Um, it got this really going, and uh, you know, these are the LD, L, uh, LGBTQ, LGBTQ uh, yes. Uh, and uh, you know, a couple. I don't actually have the list in front of me, so I I'm, feel terrible. But mm -hmm. I, I will say the ones that are the best known is that for best mainstream work, Molly Ostertag won for The Witch Boy, and then for best web comic, uh, Blue Delacroix won for Old Human Star. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, Revelation, I was with the judge of that category, and I hadn't really read Oh Human Star before. And, oh, my God, it's so good. Yeah, it's cool. It's so great. Uh, highly recommend. But I'm my mind because I know that Blue is doing a book for Dead Reckoning. Yes, she is. Um, and it's actually, it's tales. They're, these are true stories told by Afghanistan veterans, including a former Taliban uh, right. member. Uh, about their experiences um, uh, during the war. Yeah. So she's she's all over the place doing really interesting stuff. Right. Um, and we should also uh, just as, this is just a random shout out uh, because the the Eisner Awards were so moving uh, and so long because they were so moving. <laughs> right. Uh, but we we have to mention Karen Berger, the founding editor of Vertigo, um, was inducted into the Will Eisner Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, you know, really a signature achievement. Um, there were many other signature moments, uh, you know, including at Nichelle Nichols, <laughs> um, who was a presenter, a presenter at the show. Yes. Um, so many moments. Uh, you know, it was really, you know, one of the great moments for me is when Romiko Takahashi got into the Hall of Fame. Yes. And, uh, you know, I met her when she was at the con about 20 years ago. She has been a guest at San Diego. And uh, she's one of the absolute titans of comics, you know, one of the all-time, you know, top ten greats. And uh, she finally got in the Hall of Fame, and that was really cool. Oh, absolute highlight. Uh, you got a taste of this at the Eisers, but uh, the appearance of Joy Murchison Kelly. 
Oh, 90, yes. the 90 year old yes. ghostwriter of Wonder Woman. Yes. And so basically, this, you know, she is. I'm mean, embarrassed Jim, I didn't mention that in my story. Right. Go on, yes. She was in, uh, well, you couldn't cover it all. Just the yeah. cot is too big. And, uh, you know, she was she was in Jill Lepore's book. She was also portrayed mm-hmm. in the movie about uh, William Old Marstead and his unusual living. She but, worked know, with him. She wrote scripts. It's yes, really amazing. And she, but, you know, even at night, age 90, she says, who cares about personal lives? So she kept it completely above board, talking mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, she was one of his students. And then he said, you have such a great imagination. And so she started writing Wonder Woman. And then, you know, she went off and lived her life. You know, she stopped. I mean, she talked about how, she married someone who had a stepchild, and then she was just like, you know what? I need to take care of this this child, and mm-hmm. I don't have time to write comics. And then she said that her editor was Sheldon Meyer. He was like, oh, please come back. You were so good. And uh, she said, no, you know, I've got to take yeah. care of, of this kid now. But, you know, so basically she lived her whole life. She's nine years old. And then suddenly, out of the blue, she gets contacted. And for the first time, she came to a con. And, you know, it was really amazing to see people applaud her you know standing ovation after standing ovation and her walking around you know my good friends uh anina bennett and paul guinan were assigned to be kind of her guides for the weekend and her husband is also like uh, i think he's also quite elderly and he can't see he's legally blind so paul and anina were leading this couple around but they were walking you know they were walking on the con floor and um, taking it in, you know? Sounds awesome. And it was really, really moving. It was so touching to to, to experience that, so. Well, I I have to mention two things, and and you mentioned briefly, but I think we really have to say, we we have to uh, highlight Marjorie Liu uh, and um, Santa Takeda, uh, the creators of Monster, uh, Monstrous. Yes. Uh, which won what five Eisners? Um, yes. Uh, that that it's really an extraordinary book, and it's and it's and it's getting its just due. <clears throat> and also uh, also in the induction into the Hall of Fame, uh, Jackie Orms, um, mm-hmm. the first black syndicated uh, black female syndicated newspaper cartoonist for uh, her Torchy Brown uh, character and her great grandniece Lisa Jackson Selznick uh, was there to accept you know her induction. Along with Nancy Goldstein, who the author of the book on her, Jackie Orm, was the first American right. woman cartoonist. Right. So I just had to, had to uh, yeah. give them a shout out. And you know, Joy Murchison Kelly won the Bill Finger Award for Living Author, and Dorothy Woolfolk won it won yes. for um, you know the, the deceased author. And first two women to win the Finger Award, and um, you know there was three women inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. And you know, I remember the first one was ever was inducted. You know, there's still only about twelve women in the Eisner Hall of Fame, maybe oh, well, a few more than that. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. as opposed yeah, to how many men? Oh, uh, oh, well, hundreds. It's I don't hundreds. Know. Yeah, I'm sure. over a hundred. I'm sure yeah. you need a hundred and two hundred. I mean, yeah. there's not that many, but you know, it's a good question yeah. to raise. But um, you know, it's it's slowly but surely this the narrative is being expanded, and I think this year, you know, the the other winner who really excited me was when Tanika Stotts won for best anthology for yeah. Fire, Elements Fire, that which is an anthology. She gave a powerful speech color. too. <laughs> she, she did. She gave a very fiery speech about not, you know, she said we're here to stay, and she said right. we're going to do what you keep telling us to do and we're going to do it ourselves yeah. which yeah. you know is part of the uh, the the uh, rhetoric the fiery rhetoric that you hear when you you know we hear about inclusion 
and comics. And, and the legacy um, of crowdfunding, the impact and power of crowdfunding. Yes. Well, Calvin, how was your panel? Well, I'm funny you should ask me that. Um, uh, <laughs> but as, uh, but the Publishers Weekly panel, uh, organized by Heidi, uh, what was it, Crowdfunding, Ethics, and Evolution. We I thought we had a really great um, uh, discussion. Uh, it was Akel McDonald, um, uh, Jeff Trexler from The Beat, who writes on legal issues, um, Josh O'Neill uh, of Beehive uh, Press, and um, that's it. Yeah, right? Oh, Camilla Zhang. Oh, excuse me, Camila Zhang, who's the who's the uh, comics outreach person on uh, Kickstarter. And what I found really great was that Jeff was really uh, talking about how uh, Kickstarter campaigns can protect themselves. That you know, it, it's it's w- when things go wrong, it's not necessarily someone trying to scam you or fraud. It's it, people who either can't handle the success, didn't plan well, or don't know the rules very well. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and he really talked about in a positive light about how this thing, how you can make this thing work for everybody. Mm-hmm. So well, you um, recorded so it. I, I recorded it. Recorded it. So we yes. are going to hear that again. And I should also say my other panel was also a, really a treat to do. I recorded that as well. So you're going to get a chance to hear that. But um, it was how we got to here, and it's really about some very talented people in one creative side of the events who decided they wanted to do comics. And I'm, and one of these people, I think, kind of has, to me, kind of a surprise big book at the show. And that's uh, Amanda uh, Dollywall, who did Woman mm-hmm. World, which I think is an absolute delight. I do. Uh, public, but DMQ is hilarious and smart. Um, but she was on the panel. Cory Doctorow uh, was on the panel talking about In Real uh, Life, the book he did with Gene Wang. And Nalo Hopkinson was talking about her introduction to the world of comics uh, writing House of Whispers. And I thought that we had a really great discussion uh, with them talking about how they got into comics, why they wanted to write, problems, successes, and where they see uh, it going. So it, it, we got two great panels from San Diego Comic-Con that we're going to uh, turn into podcasts right. uh, and in I the next few weeks. I also did my annual journalism panel. I had an awesome panel, really smart folk on there. Um, I had Valerie Complex, Fred Van Lenthe, uh Rob McMonagall, Powder and Panel Powder, Kat Overland of Women Write About Comics, and Albert Ching. And then there was a person who crashed the panel, uh, and I couldn't get rid of him. And he just sat up there and talked. And, I mean, he actually was fine on the panel, but I realized afterwards that he just freaking crashed my, my panel. Who is this? Well, I'm not going to say his name because oh, okay. I don't want to give him more attention. But you know, okay. you know how you are, buddy. You you suck. You suck. Okay. Well, that's okay. bizarre. But the panel was great. I you just breezed by. We covered a lot of topics. So, you know, it was about reviewing, about canon. You know, mm-hmm. how we approach reviews, how we, you know, editors, how site editors you know, pick reviews, and also as creators, um, you know, what what you do now when your creators are actually, you know, responding to reviews, which is really the worst possible thing you can do, and. You know, baby, how we can yeah. how we can stop that? I mean, we could have gone on for two hours. This was a really yeah. people had a lot to say on this panel, um, but it, you know, it went really well. And uh, also a shout out. I mean, I, I panel I did not put together. I was asked to moderate the Static Express panel, and uh, you know, Chris Thompson of Titan, mm-hmm. who's the publisher of Static Express, yeah. did a really nice job. It was me, um, Terrence Irvins of uh, Book Kidakunia. And uh, an artist whose name was Helga something, and I don't have it written down. Is <laughs> a German artist of a book called Alaric, published by Statics, naturally. And you know, a very good, nice job. I give Chris Thompson kudos because instead of us sitting around and saying, "Oh, and well, you know, this year we also have this book by blah blah," 
like we talked about European comics and mm. talked about things like going to Angoulême and you know the rise of European comics and sure. know, or Helga who is German. We talked about you know comics in Germany, and then we would point to the to the slideshow perhaps and say, oh, and you know here's an example of that. This book that Status Quo has coming out, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. okay. And it was it went. I thought it went really well and was much more entertaining than the usual. Like here's our slideshow of these ten thousand books that we're putting out. So yeah. So uh, you know that was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, one thing I did not get a chance to go to uh, was the uh, library program over over at the San Diego uh, Central Library, which was very nearby, but I just didn't get a chance. And they had a session on European graphic novels that, from what I hear, looked pretty good. Also, yeah. I think Karen I heard, Green was right. uh, moderating it. I hear that the programming went pretty well over there and was mm-hmm. well attended. And, you know, that's really, you know, that kind of a, a rocky start, low attendance, but they've stuck with it. And now it's really a big part of the con. A lot of people go to it. I, I did not yeah. hear any dire tales of that. And some really great programming that I, I wish I'd been able to attend. But yeah, me too. There's I just, just you know. You just only can't. so I much mean, time. You you know I I turned down my chance to interview Joe Namath, you know, and uh, you just miss <laughs> out on so many things at Comic Con, you know. You and passed you do, on Broadway, Joe. <laughs> you know, I just felt like that would be too full circle. Okay. But, um, <laughs> but, All right, um, you know we yeah. may have, we've got some other topics, so we may have yes, to move yes, on. Yes, yes, I was going to so. say, and you know I want to point out, you know, Kane, you can leave this in, but you know I am. I am uh, in a remote location. I am talking on my headphone, on, you know, on my phone. My phone, I just got this new phone. It's an iPhone 8, and uh, it's very low charge. But because it's an iPhone 8 and it has only the lightning connector, I can't talk on my headphones and charge it at the same time. But Ooh, I'm happy yes. to say, boo, Apple, boo. And I'm happy to say that I'm still at 19%, so I think I'm going to make it. I'm very, very, you know, so, so all right. So they made up for it with good battery power. But still, Apple well, sucks. Apple sucks. Well, I'm Apple just gonna sucks. I'm gonna um, refer people to uh, publishersweekly.com/comics, and uh, they can see my uh, San Diego Comic Con report there. So, yeah, and you can find a wide array of wonderful photos, as well as our uh, Comic Con podcasts on our Tumblr. Uh, the com- the wonderful photos are courtesy of Jody Culkin, friend of the show, yes. and married to Calvin. Me, yes, she is. <laughs> Uh, so shall we? Um, we've got yes. a couple other items. Well, we yeah, and one? guys, I have yeah. one too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. Well, you know, I always say that San Diego marks the end of the fiscal year for comics because you build up to it. Now it's over, and now the cycle begins anew. And already, we're seeing some people walk yeah. away from the cycle. Yeah, we mentioned a couple of topics, and really, it's about them ending their cycle. Uh, only, or at least, are certainly one part of it, uh, and maybe moving on to another one. So, shall we start off with Koyama Press? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Annie Koyama, she's going to set down. I mean, easily one of the one of the most adept and best loved uh, publishers in the indie comics world. She's shutting down her press in 2021. Yeah, well, that's pretty far out. Well, well it's a plan. Going <laughs> It's a plan, I think, because Annie probably has publishing commitments through 2021, and she didn't yeah. want to let people down. And, you know, when you say she's one of the most loved, I think she is the most loved. Well, I agree. You know, and I mean, there was a Koyama Press 10th anniversary last year at TCAF, but I mean, you just cannot, you know, people just burst into tears they talk about Annie. And, and I mean, it's, it's not, not a secret, secret. you know, she's yeah. very generous with her money. And, yeah. you know, she talked about, so, <clears throat> this story broke on the Comics Journal, an interview with Tucker Stone, 
and she's very blunt about it. You know, she says how she played the stock market. She made a lot of money. And then she said, you know, that money is gone. So this is, but, you know, it's not that Kayama Press is losing money. But it's just that she's decided she wants to pay attention to some other parts of her life, like her partner and... You know, yeah. however, she is going to be continuing with micro grants. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Yeah, she's going to find another way to kind of help and move publishing, maybe not as a, a straight up publisher, but uh, uh, I guess as, uh, you know, as a thoughtful patron in some way. Yeah, but I mean, she's been so influential and, um, you know, she obviously is a publisher about Michael DeForge to prominence, um, you know, Jesse Jacobs, uh, so many. So I wrote a Shinko, you know, the mm-hmm. the Pussy Canoe book. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, I, I mean, that's just the ones that just come to the top of my head. But I mean, yeah. so uh, Connor Willemson is a book that she recently published. Um, uh, blah, blah. Uh, Kyle. Ooh, I can't remember. Oh, I'm so great. Yeah, you guys have Conrad. Anyway, everything that Koyama Press has never published a stinker of a book. And Annie Koyama is just the classiest act that there ever was. And this is really a blow, even though it's coming in 2021. You know, will we even be here in 2021? You know, based on this infernal heat that we're having everywhere, maybe not, but, you know, it's still. That's assuming, assuming a lot that we'll still be here. But, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I could read some more artists, but I think you, you covered them pretty well. Um, yeah. Um, now, uh, there's more. Uh, there is Ted, more now. Yes. Ted Adams, the CEO of IDW, uh, is stepping down on a sabbatical, and a new CEO, Kerry McCluggage, has been named as CEO, CEO of IDW Media Holdings. So... Uh, uh, well, it, I, I'm sure it's a little surprising, but maybe not to you, Heidi. Well, you heard some rumors. No, not surprising to me at all. I know that Ted. Uh, I'm not surprised that Ted has gone on sabbatical. I'll just leave it at that. I think if you, well, I'm not going to leave it at that. I'm just going to say, you know, Ted is one of the most, if not the most, you know, Fanny's is the most beloved. Ted is probably the most experienced publishing executive out there. You know, he started at Eclipse, then he was at uh, Wildstorm, and then he was at Dark Horse, and you know, then he founded at IDW. I mean, he knows, he knows the score. And yeah. he's all we talk about. We talk to him, talk about him so many times, and that he is such a, a forward-looking publisher. He's yeah. always willing to try something new, and I think that more than anything has really helped propel IDW, you know, forward into the market. And uh, but you know what? I think he got a little burnt out on it, and he is stepping down for a while. Well, well, the, the thing, thing about, about Ted, Ted and, and I tell you, I had the great uh, pleasure of uh, traveling with Ted to Cuba to um, uh, to Havana uh, on PW's um, Cuba Publishing Mission uh, in uh, 2017. Uh, it was a delight to hang out with him. Uh, he's not only smart. Um, if you wonder if the, the guys that are running the business in these big publishing companies uh, really care about comics, Ted Adams really cares about comics. He loves comics like nobody's business. Um, uh, I was I was able to hang out with him. I interviewed him at the Havana Book Fair. Um, he makes himself available for interviews. Uh, he's uh, he's he's a he's a good guy and a smart guy, and it'll be very interesting uh, interesting to see what his next chapter will be. He says he's going to take a short sabbatical, and he will be back in some new role. So we'll have to wait and see. Right. What what's the line on the new guy? 
Um, well, well, you know, it, it, from what I understand, he is a, the, a former president of Universal TV. I mean, it's obviously, he's been on the board, I think, at IDW, not very long, but um, uh, it's pretty clear that I guess they were, I mean, I think Ted's been thinking about this for a while, and they, this guy must have been grooming, because obviously one of the IDW media's holdings, uh, big initiatives, is in TV and film. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, but I think some big changes are at IDW. This definitely needs a really changed focus there. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's definitely more to come on that. So, yeah. And, and yeah. this news just broke. I mean, literally, as we were yeah, literally. doing this podcast. Yeah. Well, more changes um, is that word on the street. And also in Diamond Previews, in Previews, it was announced that uh, October would see the last issue of Simpsons Comics published by Bongo. And they've been publishing SpongeBob SquarePants. That's also ending. And, uh, you know, I reached out to a few of my sources. And uh, indeed, Bongo Comics is um, shutting down. Yeah, this, wow. this, this publisher is better around. Like, Bondo really flies under the radar. You know, they have a good-sized booth at San Diego, but nobody ever talks about Bondo. Uh, you know, they rarely get PR, they rarely do anything, but they have been around for more than 20 years, more like 25 years. You know, it was started yeah. by Matt Groening. Matt Groening owns the company, mm-hmm. and they have been publishing Simpsons comics since the 80s. Uh, they did also Radioactive Man comics, Futurama comics, um, you know, this the SpongeBob. And, uh, you know, if you travel to Europe and around, you go into a French comic store and you see piles of Simpsons comics. And, you know, even though they were so under the radar here, the collections of the Simpsons comics are huge sellers. Even on Bookscan, you'll see they're selling really well. And and abroad. Probably more on Bookscan than in comic stores. Absolutely. And, you know, the Bongo was certainly a success. But, you know what? I think the Simpsons is kind of rolling, you know, winding down, even on TV. It seemed like it's 30th year or so. It's the longest running TV show of all time. And now Matt has a new TV show. Matt Groening has a new TV show called Disillusion that's going to be on Netflix. And uh, Little Birdie told me we might see a comics adaptation of that, but it will be a whole new thing. So, yeah, Bongo. Now, is there, are there any other comics of Futurama? There were. Yeah. Hmm. Yes, there was a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bongo, Bongo published them. Bongo has been publishing comics every yeah. month for more than 20 years, more like 25 years. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they've had like a lot of people work for them. You know, Bill Morrison was the editor in chief, or at least he was the creative director of Bongo. And, you know, he left to go uh, run that right. movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Like late last year. Yeah, because he's a little man. Yeah, so I mean, I haven't really, you know, connected dots here, but. I wouldn't, wouldn't be too, too surprised, surprised if that was kind of like, like a, you know. Yeah, maybe that was a, yeah, um, an indication there. Hmm. Right, exactly. But, um, yeah, so wow, Koyama Press is no more, Bongo is no more, and now I and, and more to come on Ted Adams and IDW. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and I have some news, too. Yeah. Oh. Yes, I, I had almost forgotten. So the, the world, the science fiction world con, which is... Like San Diego Comic Con, only just for books. Right. A little sprinkling of TV and movies, but basically just for books. Uh, is having a major controversy over the Hugo Awards, which don't are. They, don't they always have a controversy? Oh, this is a new one. Uh, a new controversy. And it's not just the Hugo Awards, it's the Hugo Awards and the programming. And it's the programming uh-huh. that's making it hit home. Because in the past, a lot of the controversy had been sort of isolated to the awards. Mm-hmm. Mm, this one's sort of metastasizing. 
So, uh, basically, uh, but Worldcon has backed down. So it's it's basically there's been a mea culpa because of a huge PR debacle. Um, so the Hugo Awards are a science fiction award that can be voted on by anyone who attends or has a non-attending membership of the World Science Fiction Convention. Um, and it's pretty much the biggest award in, you know, science fiction publishing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Hugo goes back to the 50s. I mean, yes. it's very, you know, it's a very long running. And yeah, it's absolutely the top yeah. so, award for science fiction. So... Several Hugo-nominated creators who were relatively new on the field, number of whom were either not white or not cisgendered, um, got bumped from panels. And they were told, uh-huh. literally, quote-unquote, there is a generation of new Hugo finalists who are exciting to the nominators but completely unfamiliar to the attendees as a reason that they were not on the panels. Holy totally shit. ignoring hmm. the fact that clearly they must be well n- known enough to have been voted on yeah, in right. the Hugos. Wow! Uh, and so this is just this, this is, is just flat, flat out bias. Yeah, and then yeah, I mean, and, and maybe maybe it was just an incident of generation that a lot yeah. you had more uh, non-white creators and uh, non-cisgendered creators in that mix. But even so, even if it's just prejudice against new young writers, like that's not serving anyone. Because yeah. you have to, I mean, one, if they're nominated for a Hugo, then clearly people care about their work. Yeah. And two, you know, like, you want a steady flow of new creators. Like, why would attendees not want to see them at panels? You don't just go to see the guy you've heard of. You go to find the new hot stuff, sure. right? So yeah, this, absolutely. unsurprisingly, this was not popular. And then, <sighs> then there was a whole extra little blip where it turned out that, um... Bogey Takix, a uh, sci-fi writer who uh, does not use either male or female pronouns, or they pronouns, but instead uses E, I, R, M pronouns, uh, got misgendered as quote-unquote he, a gender that Bogey Takix does not use and has does not subscribe to, in the biography description, in a biography that was literally lifted from Air's website with the correct pronouns and then just with all the correct pronouns deleted and he inserted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's not I even mean... just like, oh, well, I didn't know. Like, clearly, like, you knew because that was what was originally in it. Why did you go to the extra effort to make it wrong? Okay. Wow. Fun times. Okay. So, uh, nah. points to whoever... Realized they needed to turn the ship around because the Worldcon Concom apologized and said, "Okay, uh, we're rescinding our um, because our program, our yeah, they had a this was their preliminary program, which is when people notice yeah. they're rescinding their preliminary program and rewriting it and um, redoing the thing. And, oh, and also part of what made people hopping mad and indeed." to resign their places on panels in favor of younger writers um, was that apparently what had happened on new, on several occasions is that a younger creator would suggest a panel with a bunch of other people they had gotten together and then the con would take that very panel 
with that very panel description, boot oh the original God. people off the list and stack the deck with wow. older, wow. more established well, people. You, you might as well just who had no idea if this is what was going on. You know, I. Yeah, and so a lot of these creators who were being subbed in had no idea that was what was going on, and when they found out, were like... You know, I hate to say it, but the old guard of science fiction, for people who are supposedly futurists and progressives and all that, you know, there's a lot... I'm not surprised. I'm just not surprised to hear that there's this... The future's just stuck in the past. (laughs) Yeah, very much stuck in the past. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, well not these old people. people. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm ready for change. Bring it on. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I think right. we're going to have to make, make a change right here because I'm looking at the time. Um, yeah, I think we're just about done. Well, we did it, guys. My phone held out and yes, we managed to talk for more. I said, oh, we'll probably talk for 20 minutes. Ha ha. Yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, San Diego, you know, makes you talk. So It does. Um, it's, you know, I always say, I'm sure I said this last year and the year before, but I'll just say it one more time. You know, what's incredible about the San Diego Comic-Con is that each day is like a year. You know, but it's just like in every moment you have these peak experiences. You know, like whether you're meeting one of your favorite cartoonists or, you know, going on some once-in-a-lifetime activation or, you know, finding some panel of people that will never be reunited again. I mean, this just happens all day, every day. Yeah, well, just four years and four days. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. But um, so, you know, then you have to have mental downtime. All right, uh, which we're going to start as soon as this podcast is over. Yep. So, um, more? Two?